Hello there, podcast land. It's it's me. It's was. I'm here again. Thought I'd surprise you. Um, it's Friday afternoon, so I think that probably explains it in a nutshell. Feeling a lot more animated and energetic than I probably was the last time, possibly even the previous two before that. Um, it's a nice sunny day, and I'm on the way home, and it's the end of the week. So really, it's just all mixes together to create a cocktail of excellence. And yeah, I thought, you know what? People who do choose to listen to the podcast should hear the happier, <laughs> less docile me uh, on the Friday. Because you know what? It might be more appealing. It could be less appealing. And that's fine too. But it could be more appealing. And that's okay. I was just pondering because uh, I was listening to some tunes just on the first part of my drive. Just listening to some, probably you could call it hard kind of hard blues and kind of rockier blues like blues rock and just really enjoying it really getting uh quite into it i'm just loving the rhythm just the stomp fantastic i'm just casting my mind back to when Eero and myself are in our little two-piece uh acoustic well acoustic duo called 11 um that we had for a couple of years there it was fantastic it was always great fun and I basically sat on a box that stomped. Uh, I probably mentioned it when I was talking about Cajons or Cajons or I don't know, Cajuns. <laughs> Cajun. Um, the other day, talking about uh, how they create their sound. So uh, I thought I'd reflect back on just music in general. Um, perhaps my earliest recollections of stuff that I liked or well, I guess I was exposed to. And just work my way up and along. And, you know, please indulge me for a little while. It's It was just been on my mind and I thought, you know what, I'll just put it down. Something to uh, to cast my, my ear back over at some point in the future, maybe. And something that you might say, oh, that band, fantastic. I might give it a bit of a listen. Uh, okay, so... My first, my first memory. Sorry for being a bit self-indulgent, but uh, you know, I only know my own experience well, so, and even that's probably a bit cloudy. So it's good to get it down. My earliest experience uh, of music that I can recall, I got in grade three, which would be when I was in Australia. That's when you were about seven, normally, or, you know, around seven. Uh, I got a tape, good old tapes. Those of you who aren't old enough probably go what's a tape um it's a small tape with two reels and it rolls from one reel to the other and the material you want to listen to is on the reel and that was the thing back then that was what you listened to i received a tape of john farnham whispering jack uh from a friend for my birthday and as it was my first and at that stage only tape that had a high rotation <laughs> on my on my what did I listen to it on? I think I had like a little tape player and then at some point probably not long after that we got like a you know I guess you'd call it a Walkman but it wasn't actually a, a Walkman a Sony Walkman it was it was just a tape player with the headphones and uh, that probably started that listening to music a lot Whereas before that, I don't think there was anything that you could say would, would be regular. I liked a few things that my, my mum and dad listened to. I did enjoy 
there were some quirky ones too. I, I remember, I forget the artist's name now off the top of my head, but I remember my mum had, uh, I think, a small 45 single of My Old Man's a Dustman. <laughs> and um, I loved it. I loved that one. It was a sort of cockney... Um, kind of, I can't remember the style of music that you would class that as, but it was big in the 60s and, and early 70s. Kind of like jug band sort of stuff, but I, I don't know what the instrumentation in that band were, or what his name was, Lenny something maybe. You can correct me. Just jump in. Lenny Lonergan. Is that right? Anyway, that just jumped, That just came to me. That could be it. Um... And I remember that song really well. I really liked it. And and you might kind of curse and go, what are you talking about? I really liked Cliff Richard. Um, yes, Cliff Richard. Uh, there was some stuff. I used to really like Devil Woman. That was something that I really liked that one. I don't know why. Um, and there was a few other Cliff Richard ones. And I, I can't think of their names now. But... We got a couple of tapes of those. As, you know, young kids, I guess everyone's happy to encourage a bit of Cliff Richard. Pretty clean stuff, pretty non-threatening. And I guess, yeah, he was probably in the same kind of boat, I suppose, as John Farnham in terms of it's, it's, it's a bit rocky, it's a bit poppy, it's got some nice melodies and tunes, and it's pretty harmless in terms of what it does to young minds, really. So, quite enjoyed that. As, as a young whippersnapper and it was probably then after that starting to listen to the radio a little more um, like the top 50 countdown that was on on a, a, a Saturday evening and there was a point that I was probably in early high school so I, I think I didn't really go anywhere in particular to any particular musical genre uh, at, through the rest of primary school. Yeah, just hear a lot of bits and pieces. I remember hearing Dire Straits when I went to the roller rink once with some friends, and I really liked Dire Straits and Walk of Life particularly. That's just one that I always remember. Always remember that one. And there was a few... I think there was a, perhaps a little bit of Van Halen that I would have heard uh, there as well. Roller rink, great place. <laughs> you know, they had the disco ball and the lights and, and speed skating would come on and you, they'd put some slightly sort of light rock, light metal, you could class it as, and you'd be whizzing around listening to that. And, th- and that was always really cool. I, that got me excited. I really enjoyed that. And... Maybe that sowed a certain kind of seed for that genre. Something with a bit more speed, a little bit more rock, a bit of a harder edge, um, a more driving rhythm. Uh, so then, yeah, early high school, listening to a lot of those countdowns. and probably liked a mixture of things that come out. And the early 90s, I mean, every era has its styles that stand out and things that you remember. It's fashion that you remember and yeah certain stars that just seem to celebrities that just seem to be directly related to that time frame like they're quickly forgotten after it passes but those couple years there oh, they're it in a bit um like ace of base was was people was a, a group from the early 90s b52s still seemed like they were going pretty strong at that stage the divinals 
Hunters and collectors, they've probably stayed current sort of through the early to mid-90s as well in terms of Australian music. I mean, In Excess was still going really well uh, in through to the, the early 90s there. But uh, I started to listen to Guns N' Roses. I think probably for anyone who's my sort of generation, the first Guns N' Roses I was exposed to was uh, November Rain. And that would have been because it sort of really exploded onto the scene. I mean, Appetite for Destruction was a was a huge release. And I think the one that stands out the most against everything else. But November Rain really, uh, for me, was really epic. was really tuneful. Uh, it had so many parts to it. And it, I remember very clearly it used to irritate the crap out of me when they cut that end section where there's that rockier part with the solo and the piano that kicks it off used to hate it when they cut that out of the song and I would listen to even if I missed the start of the countdown I would listen to the rest of the countdown because I knew for quite a long time there that it would be sailing up near the top of the charts there and it was for weeks and weeks and weeks and the thing that irritated me as well was that it was sharing one, two, and three spot, sort of make its way up to the top, come back a spot, go back up a spot, come back down two spots, was uh, Boys to Men, End of the Road. And it made me so frustrated if it had lost its spot to that song because it was just a totally different, totally different levels of quality in my mind anyway. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. That was great. And then started to be, I, I guess, more interested in listening to more of their stuff too. So then heard Don't Cry. And I remember very clearly went on holiday with my family to England um, to see a lot of our, our family and, and my dad's heritage is from, is from there. And we went over there and on the plane which was a Lufthansa flight. In those days, you had sort of like a preset radio uh, selection. So there was, you know, your rock channel, you know, your talkback channel. I don't know if it was a sports one because I wouldn't have stayed on it very long if it was. But anyway, there was maybe 10 to 15 of these different preset radio stations. There was a rock one, and it would go at the same 20 songs. And I listened to those songs 20 times, oh, the 20 songs, probably 20 times. Um, just around and around and around, because I could not find anything that was appealing anywhere else. And the TVs weren't personal at that stage, so just up the end of the, uh, the corridor, uh, like sort of up the end near the bulkhead. And, yeah, <laughs> there wasn't much on for interest either. So... I remember listening to Don't Cry quite a few times, lots of times it was on, and really loved it. Didn't really get tired of it. Uh, and so that, that really, uh, I guess it probably really drilled it into my head, my enjoyment of Guns N' Roses. And then, I guess after having Usual Illusion 1 and 2, and listening to uh, Appetite for Destruction, Really, Appetite for Destruction was the one that really got into me, like, into my soul. All of the stuff on there, I just really loved. I loved the attitude, I loved the production, I loved the, um, 
the, the sound of the guitars at that stage. I really loved the sound of the guitars. I'd been taking guitar lessons at, at primary school just on my my mum's nylon string classical that she'd had for many years, and we were just playing full chord uh, stuff, you know, one, two, three, four, and then changing the chord, just learning some simple songs, and, and that was that was all well and good. It was quite fun. And then I had some some more particular lessons and I guess when I actually had the ability to start playing the guitar a little bit uh, and I say a little bit very realistically because I really didn't know too much I just knew how to shape chords I really wanted to know how to play those songs too so Guns N' Roses was really the one that kind of got that whole musical uh, seed sort of growing so I would and then I got an electric guitar for my 14th birthday, I think it was. And so even unplugged and not on, it was hard to really get it switched up loud and really try and work out some of the, the main riffs. And I was always more of a, li- a riff person than I was a solo person. I really appreciated solos. I really admire a good solo. But from very early on, it was very, very much about the riff the, uh, the intensity, the speed, the way that it, it just kind of uh, linked everything together into a, a song, and the way that they could interplay with e- each other, uh, you know, other if there were more than one guitar, or yeah, just the way that the song was structured, really loved it. Uh, so it was probably at the same time as, as really digging Guns N' Roses that I picked up a very, very cheap. Um, live recording of ACDC we were on holiday and sort of literally had the one tape of probably Guns N' Roses that I'd been listening to and yes even though I'd sat on that plane and listened to Don't Cry you know 180 times <laughs> whatever um, I, I needed something I needed something else it was it was getting a little bit old so I bought this ACDC double tape live thing and it was about a dollar fifty or fifty cents it was nothing and I really really liked it because um, if you talk about the riff they're, they're all about the stripped back blues inspired rock riff and the tone on the guitars and the rhythm section as straightforward as it sort of seems there's something in it there's a genius in the way that they, they hook it all together and I was listening to that round and round because they're live performances. Some of those tunes that might have been a six or seven minute song were suddenly 20 minute songs. So there's huge Angus Young solos and it, and the interplay with the crowd. And, and that really um, stuck with me as well. I did listen to that a, a hell of a lot. Uh, and then similar time as that, well, we're actually probably going back now a year or so again just a little earlier when I first heard them the radio was starting to play uh, Metallica and at the time when I first heard Metallica I can't recall the order with which I heard them I remember being in music class in year 7 or 8 and uh, a kid that was in my class we were just chatting about stuff, music and whatever, he said, oh, check this tape out, and he had a very short time frame tape, it was like a, I think it was a single of Lenny Kravitz, Through the Fields of Joy, or The Fields of Joy was the name of the song, the 
the tape single was. But on the other side, he recorded uh, Unforgiven by Metallica. And I had listened to that back and forth. So I'd flip the side and you'd listen to the other song. Flip the side, listen to Unforgiven again. Flip the side. And I would do that over and over and over because I really loved Unforgiven that it starts with the sort of classic guitar, quite soft. Then there's that moment where everything bursts in with the first verse. And I don't think I'd ever really heard, I certainly hadn't heard anything produced that way. It was such a great production and it really still does stand out as a as an example of awesome production on on almost every level. That it's uh, yeah, it, it excited my senses. If that isn't a corny thing to say, I really really liked it. And uh, yeah, so that tape got a lot of <laughs> roundabouts. And then coincidentally, uh, wherever I may roam, another Metallica single uh, started to make its way onto the airwaves and they'd never really had the airplay before so I'd never really heard before and so that was started to be played on radio and I would really look forward to hearing that come on because it had that slightly eastern feel because it uh, had the sitar, the electric sitar uh, doing part of the tune and the, the big gong and the sort of the large symbols that they'd use to sort of pepper over the production and really give it this massive sound and those two songs were, you know, because I guess to put them at odds with the Guns N' Roses sound, they were both mammoths of the of the heavy metal uh, world, but they were very different as well. And to sort of take Metallica's guitar tone and the way that they put their songs together and the way that the rhythms and the riffs worked was not at complete odds with Guns N' Roses but very different in its overall sound Guns N' Roses had a very high end kind of crunch to their guitars and it was great because it was more like punk music had this really sharp kind of just full of like spit like it makes you think of it's just sort of this attitude like someone's about to spit at you and uh, which is awesome I love that but then Metallica had this deep dark thunderous uh, kind of Oh, it, it would just summon summon some beast of the underworld uh, with its kind of heaviness. And so I, that's where I really was sold on uh, on metal and, and the heavier end of things. And then I guess, of course, it was at that time that grunge was starting to be the thing. And uh, my friends and I at school started... Now, I can't remember the first time I would have heard Nirvana or Pearl Jam, but... I remember being particularly entranced with Pearl Jam, uh, my friend and I, and uh, we would listen, we would share headphones, as you do, and and listen to Pearl Jam, and Versus was the album, at, it wasn't their first album, it was their second album, but that was the one that really caught me, I really loved Versus, that, that whole album still, I never owned it myself, but... Um, the Versus album was one that I just really, really loved. Everything about that was just was great. So, you know, we're talking something very different. It wasn't heavy, but it was rocky, and it uh, it had a lot of grit, I suppose. And it, it spoke to teenagers at the time. That style of music just seemed to, to ring true. And so, of course, we loved Nirvana as well. And, and I would say the one that I always seemed to like the most was Insecticide 
Incesticide. I actually don't really know the name of the album when I come to think of it, which is terrible. But Dive off that album was like my little personal anthem there for a while. It was a little heavier and harder than some of their other stuff, and I don't know, it was really raw because that was kind of like their album of uh, B-sides and I guess slightly maybe lesser produced songs than than was on uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, Nevermind, what am I talking about um, that was on Nevermind that, that was kind of the the smoother production whereas um, yeah, Incesticide was was much harsher and uh, still had some great songs though really, really awesome I never really got as much into In Utero I know my friends, my mates were they really dug it but uh, I was never as big on it, I don't know why, just it didn't have that special ingredient for me or maybe I'd moved on to some other stuff or yeah because it was a similar time, sorry I am rambling but ideas keep coming to me, Uh, it was probably around a similar time when we were still going through all those styles and I remember a couple of my mates started to really like Cypress Hill which I I don't know, I guess that's gangster rap but it's it has got a harder edge it's like stoner hip-hop, or I don't know. You can feel free to put it in a comment or whatever, just telling me what you would say Cypress Hill is. But it's hip-hop, very much so, but it's got something about it. It's a little bit dark, and it's got some some samples, and it had some really heavy bass tunes in there. So I could help but like some of them, definitely. But it was definitely not my my music of choice and uh, I remember thinking to myself now how much I loved the Black Album by Metallica you know and th- I know that they've got a back catalogue I should probably get and my theory was if I liked an album if I was to get the one made just before it that would be even better I don't know why that was just my, my thought or you know I should try out the one before so I went and bought myself Justice for All and it blew my mind. It's a, it's a very different beast than the Black Album. Very, very different beast, as, as many of you would know. Uh, very different sort of song arrangements, very different production, very different attitude, and ju- sort of relentless. I mean, it's an assault on the senses, really. It's very much for a, a metal appreciator, I think, for a metal fan. You know, a lot of people can like the Black Album for what it is. It, it offers a lot. but And Justice For All is like all-out, balls-out metal. And it's like the, the pinnacle of what they could do. I, I mean, production issues aside, you know, with the inaudible bass, etc. Without audible bass, it's still brilliant. So it, it says a lot about the musicianship uh, that was on display there. And, yeah, it blew my mind. So, of course, going with my theory, I thought, well, I need to get the one before it. So I went and got also Master of Puppets. And I remember taking that to our dear friend, Eero's house. (laughs) He's going to be a regular feature just because, you know, he's a big part of my life. So, hey, he deserves to be around. Um, And I took it to his place because I think I must have been en route back home or heading through that way and I just wanted to share the experience of hearing that one for the first time we put that on 
and battery starts off the disc of course and and by this time we are talking discs cds does anyone know them anymore (laughs) compact discs uh they are still around as we know but yeah they're they're sort of slowly starting to uh, disappear as well and pop that on and battery is the thing that comes out and i think we looked at each other with this sense of like (laughs) you know like a cheeky giggle like look what we found um and really really liked it like battery is always now stuck out for me i think maybe because of that memory as well but it battery has always been right up there in my favorite metallica songs um it's always got this, a similar impact on me master of puppets is many people's sort of quintessential metallica song for, for like their, their prime year the, when they were doing thrash and they were doing thrash so well and Cliff Burton was still alive and their old bassist and uh, yeah it was kind of at their pinnacle for many people but Battery for me was was the one uh, there was just a brilliant a brilliant piece of music for me loved it uh, and so all this stuff is probably taking place at different time, points of time but I uh, for me, it's like a musical progression because I can feel it getting heavier. Uh, I can't recall, I think what happened with, uh, now this is my next band that I love, Pantera. Uh, I think I'd listened to some Pantera because we had a friend at school. We all really, really liked him. He was he was not uh, like in our group of friends. Um, Pat was his name. And... Well, he wasn't in our group of mates, but we always just really liked him. Always said hi. Always, you know, ask him something random. He was just a really good all-round bloke. And um, he had recorded, I think, for for Euro, I think, uh, Far Beyond Driven by Pantera. Now, that, that is an assault on the senses in every sense of the word. It is heavy beyond heavy. And I probably, maybe at the time, it was a little too heavy for where my tastes were going. Like, it was a bit of a jump, maybe. So it, it did assault my, my senses and, and didn't grab me in the same way that I think it did other people. I think I needed it to be somewhere in the middle. And so, running with the old theory, I went and bought uh, the one before it, Vulgar Display of Power. Not sure on what hunch or if someone had said it to me. Maybe even Pat himself might have said, try that one out. It's it's not as, you know, full on. And so I did. And now same thing happened. I took it to Eero's place and I put it on. And Mouth for War is the intro track and it starts with this great kind of double kick locked in with the bass and guitar kind of... Dun, 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 dun. I'm not going to mouth it. That's it. That's all I'm doing in terms of impersonating a song because I just can't do it. But it was uh, it was just right on the spot. It just starts like that. And it grabs you by the short and curlies and doesn't let go for that whole piece. That is a, it's a great song. And I think it was the same sensation that time and perhaps even more intense because the production is kind of like... It's hard to explain Pantera's production, but it's, it's always really crisp. And uh, Dimebag Daryl, uh, rest his soul, 
always had this really sharp end but but heavy heavy tone on his guitar and it just sounded awesome and so that kind of started a, a pantera craze for me as well um it probably unfortunately with pantera it was something where it didn't just keep on going and going and it it ended and i think there was a lot of interband well you know within the band i think phil anselmo the vocalist is a very spirited fellow and uh, can easily get quite aggressive and had his own issues to deal with as well so it it, it kind of all fell apart, which is a real shame because at the time they were the they were the big oh the big time we we thought they were awesome. Um, now just casting my mind, trying to cast my mind back, getting harder now. We're approaching, we're coming up into the time frame where we're starting to get some new metal uh, rearing its uh, its unfortunate head, and many people just scoff and kind of I guess flick up their their eyes at uh, the idea of new metal now in the late 90s and early noughties it was all the rage it was the thing I mean everybody there was all sorts of versions of new metal and it could include anything from a, a more rap inspired delivery to sort of in like Sepultura you could say who, who are always they've always been more of a death metal sound had production and songs and things that had influences of a new metal as well I think they just managed to steer clear of getting buried in it but it was there was so much that could be put under that banner and there was some really really cool stuff and there was some stuff that was not so cool and and didn't really do anything for me but Corn, for one, was never one that really grabbed me. Corn was massive. I mean, they were huge and they were big for many years, but never one that grabbed me. Never, never excited me like others. I liked Limp Biscuit, um, but Limp Biscuit again. It, it was sort of a case of maybe a few songs I loved, and then particular album. I, you know, it was right at that time that I loved them. So. Uh, chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water as it was called was an album that i i really liked um i think is because it was that timing but and then it sort of just went away uh i i should have said rage against the machine was always one that was riding there there's so many bands though that's the thing i think i'm probably talking about being led down the metal path but there were so many bands you could reel them off faith them all was big at the time two for us we really really loved it king for a day full for a lifetime was the one that uh i think we all agreed was our favorite it i think critically and by a lot of other fans standards it was not their favorite but it was the one for us we loved it we loved it a couple of digging the grave uh, gentle art of making enemies cuckoo for kaka there was some songs on there that we never we never tire of they're just fantastic they're awesome uh, you know, Slayer. Never Megadeth person. Was never into many of those. Uh, oh, not those. I don't want to categorise people. I did get an Anthrax album, um, which I liked, Sound of White Noise. But that was probably after their their prime in terms of what they were being remembered for. Um, but I really liked the album. I still enjoy that from time to time. Um, 
Yeah, but new metal, new metal. Static X was something that uh, I really liked, and Ramstein. I think I'd heard Ramstein for the first time, perhaps on the Matrix soundtrack. So that movie came out in '99, and you can hear a remix version of it in the background, and then it started to be on the radio. Ramstein is, I guess, new metal, but it's industrial metal. It's got something else about it because it is a lot mostly spoken in German as well. It's very, very different uh, for, I guess, what what most people were probably used to at the time. So they they were much bigger than they probably got credit for a lot of the time, and and especially being a, a band that uh, didn't really do it in English, they, they were very big and had a, a big following. And I mean, I used to try and <laughs> remember how the words were pronounced because it was just such a strange style, the delivery. Um, but Static X as well, same could be said, really. I mean, uh, not a lot of that you could understand what he was saying, Wayne Static, but he, he uh, had a certain way of delivering the vocal that was very, very much locked in with the riff and uh, locked in with the rhythm. And it was often a very stagnated kind of rhythm. So you, uh, yeah, the words weren't tuneful so much. Well, not on the early stuff um, until Shadow Zone. And Shadow Zone is, is my favourite from them. And that's one that I still enjoy from time to time. Um, but yeah, that I, I'm glad to say that Static X and Ramstein were my favourite bands out out of the the new metal era because i still think that they were worthy of praise uh and static x kept on going and ramstein kept on going um until of course wayne static is now deceased sadly and uh ramstein is still going i think they've got their little projects that they do but uh, i think they are still around and, and doing their thing uh and that sort of brings us, I suppose, to the early 2000s, where I'm thinking I probably didn't listen to as much new... I probably started not listening to as much new uh, new bands and things that were coming out, but or maybe even diversifying a little bit. Uh, Machine Head, I had been a fan of as well. Um, of course, Metallica has been a, a constant. Guns N' Roses, of course, kind of fell off the face of the earth um, with all their dramas. So that kind of went old pretty much straight after the spaghetti incident, which I bought and I enjoyed uh, Ain't It Fun. I think it's called Ain't It Fun or Such Fun. I loved that song. Uh, but yeah, that, that kind of went the way of the dodo. And yeah, it sort of, I started uh, enjoying something even a little heavier again. So Lamb of God and Devil Driver were, were two bands. Now, this is when we're talking about the, the MySpace era, where MySpace, which I actually still preferred to Facebook, something about uh, MySpace worked for me, the way that uh, you could have a media player on screen, you could, you could pretty it up and do the wallpapers and headings, and something about it worked. And I liked finding uh, bands on there and, and listening to... They would have a couple of sampled sample versions of their their songs on there or you know a one minute excerpt and that was really good way of finding music of finding bands now i don't think i found either of those bands on myspace but i think it was through that whole 
that whole new age, that new digital age, that it's just easier to sample something. You, you could hear, of, back in the past, it's you hear of 10 bands, you might be able to accidentally, you know, or by lucky accident, catch a single on radio and, and be like, oh, I finally heard that song, that's brilliant. Or go, I know I'm going to like this because people are saying, I'll like this, you go buy it as a single or as, you know, a sh- an EP or the full album, whatever. Um, but in this, this new era, you could try something out and listen to three, four, five songs of that band and, and really get a strong idea whether you would like them or not. And, yeah, it was it was something that was brilliant for, for finding music. It really started to be something you could do at any hour of the day and... It could be as quick as you like. If you had 10 minutes to have a quick look, it would be fine. And, yeah, it was it was a great way of discovering it. And probably started to diversify uh, my leanings, too, to blues, blues and roots. And, I guess, through, you know, people I was with at the time, too, you know, or diversified my, my taste in music, too, in that way. And... Yeah, so Devil Driver and Lamb of God are still two that I really, really enjoy listening to. But now we're talking bands that are, they're not up and coming and they're not new. You know, they've been around a decade or more now. And I feel like I'm not on <laughs> on the pulse anymore, but that's an age thing, I think. I think I've, I've got myself stuck into a, a, a place now where I, I know what I like and it has to really grab me to um to make me want to seek it out more and i'm tending to the new stuff that i do here is tends to be in the blues kind of like blues rock alternative kind of blues but something with a blues edge so it's you could still say that there's some metal tucked away there you know a lot of them will have a heavy rhythm section because of production standards now you can get a lot of heavy beats even if it's almost a just a stomp section in the background it still uh can be produced so really well to sort of grind and and uh and pump along at a really good levels uh so and that probably reflected itself in the music we were playing too and and that interest because it was easier to play at home when the, the kids are asleep and you know your beloved is is trying to have some peace and quiet as well so there's probably a bunch of things that tie into where music leanings start to go. Um, but yeah, it sort of brings me almost neatly, but I just feel like I've got to stop talking. <laughs> uh, maybe we can continue this one. I feel like it's not quite finished, but I'm going to rush the end. So this could be part one of a this musical journey that we're going through. Uh, but I also wanted to quickly mention that I didn't correct myself the other day. Well, I didn't. I don't feel like I tailed off uh, episode three well enough with the canoe journey by saying that we'd done any more. Now, Eero and I had ventured out again. On we have a, uh, a bay called Western Port Bay, and there's a few inlets and things. And we've had a couple of little uh, adventures out there through the inlet. There's some mangroves out there. There's a couple of islands, Quail Island and Chinaman's Island. And now we are currently discussing and trying to... I'll just make sure I've got a, <laughs> the right parts to do it. 
to get to a little island called Borrelia. Borrelia? Borrelia. I'm not sure. I've forgotten now, just because I'm in the moment. Uh, it's just off the north coast of uh, French Island, which is a large island in Western Port Bay. There's basically Phillip Island, which is like a tourist and holiday house mecca. North of that is French Island, which is very sparse and complete opposite to Phillip Island. And this tiny little island just north of it, for some reason, we want to go there. So, hey, we'll give it a go. And I'm going to take a lot of joy in being able to tell you lovely listeners that that's something that we've been able to achieve. So I'm going to leave it on that note. Thank you for listening again. Uh, Sorry to swamp you with... uh, with uh, podcasts this week hopefully that's a good thing and hopefully you've enjoyed it so i'll talk to you soon i'm going to get out of here and i hope you have a wonderful weekend do something fun bye